In your Bibles, please, for our second reading, Old Testament, Exodus chapter 22. Exodus 22, verse 1. Hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. If a man steal an ox or a sheep and kill it or sell it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If a thief be found breaking up and be smitten that he die, there shall no blood be shed for him. If the sun be risen upon him, there shall be blood shed for him, for he should make full restitution. If he have nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the theft be certainly found in his hand alive, whether it be ox or ass or sheep, he shall restore double. If a man shall cause a field or vineyard to be eaten, and shall put in his beast, and shall feed in another man's field, of the best of his own field, and of the best of his own vineyard, shall he make restitution. If fire break out, and catch in thorns, so that the stacks of corn, or the standing corn, or the field be consumed therewith, he that kindled the fire shall surely make restitution. If a man deliver unto his neighbor money or stuff to keep, And it be stolen out of the man's house. If the thief be found, let him pay double. If the thief be not found, then the master of the house shall be brought unto the judges to see whether he have put his hand unto his neighbor's goods. For all manner of trespass, whether it be for ox, for ass, for sheep, for raiment, or for any manner of lost thing which another challengeth to be his, The cause of both parties shall come before the judges, and whom the judges shall condemn, he shall pay double unto his neighbor. If a man deliver unto his neighbor an ass or an ox or a sheep or any beast to keep, and it die, or be hurt, or driven away, no man seeing it, then an oath of the Lord, then shall an oath of the Lord be, be between them both, that he hath not put his hand unto his neighbor's goods, and the owner of it shall accept thereof, and he shall not make it good. And if it be stolen from him, he shall make restitution unto the owner thereof. If it be torn in pieces, then let him bring it for a witness, and he shall not make good that which was torn. And if a man borrow aught of his neighbor, and it be hurt or die, the owner thereof being not with it, he shall surely make it good. But if the owner thereof be with it, he shall not make it good. If it be an hired thing, it came for his hire. And if a man entice a maid that is not betrothed, then lie with her, he shall surely endow her to be his wife. If her father utterly refuse to give her unto him, he shall pay money according to the dowry of virgins. Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Whosoever lieth with a beast shall surely be put to death. He that sacrificeth unto any god, save unto the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. Thou shalt neither vex a stranger nor oppress him, 
for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. Ye shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If thou afflict them in any wise, and they cry at all unto me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath shall wax hot, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. If thou lend money to any of my people that is poor by thee, thou shalt not be to him as an usurer, neither shalt thou lay upon him usury. If thou at all take thy neighbor's raiment to pledge, thou shalt deliver it unto him by that the sun goeth down, for that is his covering only. It is his raiment for his skin, wherein shall he sleep? And it shall come to pass, when he crieth unto me, that I will hear, for I am gracious. Thou shalt not revile the gods, nor curse the ruler of thy people. Thou shalt not delay to offer the first of thy ripe fruits, and of thy liquors. The firstborn of thy sons shalt thou give unto me. Likewise shalt thou do with thine oxen and with thy sheep. Seven days it shall be with his dam. On the eighth day thou shalt give it me. And ye shall be holy men unto me. Neither shall ye eat any flesh that is torn of beasts in the field. Ye shall cast it to the dogs. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. Well, again, another passage that is full of these various uh, civil commands. And it teaches us principles of general equity. I'll remind you again of our confession of faith that says that the civil laws of the Jewish nation do not bind any other nation now save that which is according to the general equity that existed in those civil commandments. General equity meaning that moral equity that is that that existed in the punishment that they gave for that society that that equity not the punishment itself should be adapted to every society so that something that was heinous be treated heinously something that was light be treated lightly and so on and everything in between in every nation throughout all the world right so if something was uh, costly In the Old Testament, civil estate, it should be costly in our days if civil governments are going to be be operating properly. If something was was, uh, treated more as an infraction and a light penalty, well then it shall not become something heavy in our day. It shall be light through a moral equity process of judgment. Okay, so that's what that means Uh, For those of you that were not in our uh, time with the kiddos today, we talked a little bit about that with regard to restitution. The children settled on, uh, I I said, what's the most expensive car that you could come up with? And we finally settled on a Lamborghini. And so could you imagine, because, you know, uh, uh, an ox was like the Lamborghini of farm animals in those days. Mr. Dillard showed me a picture of of a, a tractor. That was probably more expensive than a Lamborghini. I get that. But the children chose a Lamborghini. Mr. Dillard might choose a tractor. But in the end, what if you stole a Lamborghini and when you were apprehended by the police, instead of going to jail for 20 years, you had to give up 
five Lamborghinis instead. And if you couldn't, then you were sold into slavery so that you could continue to be productive instead of going to jail and becoming vile. I think that infinitely preferable and certainly in keeping with moral equity. Right? Okay, so um, we have the biblical principle then of restitution. Uh, Did the Old Testament have jails? They did, but it was only a very temporary situation where you would keep someone from running away while the judges decided what they were going to do with him. What kind of restitution it will be, whether it applied to the fivefold or the twofold or the fourfold, or whether it was something beyond that that needed to be judged in order to set forth a proper penalty for the crime, or whether or not he was going to be set free. Right? So several times we'll read in the Old Testament about people being put in ward until their punishment comes. The ward, beloved, was never the punishment itself. Right? As we've said before, so we say again, the, the, uh, the system of jails, or can I say it this way, penitentiaries, because they're still called that, is a Quakerish idea. That when you put someone by himself in a jail or with other inmates, sooner or later, boom, the inner light comes on and he will become penitent. It's a penitentiary. Have we found that to be the case? Obviously not. The Quakers have bad theology and their bad theology leads to bad penology, doesn't it? Because theology matters, beloved. It matters. Okay, so... Uh, Here we have no jail, we have restitution instead. And then the other thing that I want you to understand about restitution is this. This is something, you know, you'll you'll hear someone after he gets out of 20 years in prison, you know, he's... He has a hard time finding a job. Finally, you know, maybe he's, he's sitting down with an interview, uh, you know, to, for, for a prospective employer that has shown some mercy on him and is actually going to consider him. And he will say, I paid my debt to society. We note that that is an unbiblical idea. Nowhere in Scripture will we read that a thief must pay his debt to society. He hasn't injured society. He's injured a person. And it is to that person that the restitution is made. Right? The person who is at loss must be made whole again. That's the principle of equity that we see in the scripture with regard to penology. This is important, right? How do you how do you rightly punish people? Well, it's something that is lost upon our current system, but the Bible is very clear on this. You don't pay your debt to a society. The judges judge between man and man over losses. And restitution to make things whole, to put them back as far as can be done in their place. And if they can't be put back in their place, then, they're, then that is reflected in the depth of the penalty. Right? Okay, so all of that to, 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 to say that the Bible's system of justice is something that is, is healing and not breaking. Or as the Apostle Paul would say to the Corinthian church, the authority that the Lord has given me for edification, not destruction. Right? Current punishments of crimes are breaking. They're not healing. Think of it. Right? And this still does take place in some nations of the world where you'll have a man brought in and he's beaten with a rod. And then what? Well, then he's set free. Right? 
He's done. He can heal up and go back to work and become productive and remain productive and provide for his family and contribute to the world around him. Can't really do that if you're locked up for 30 years. So, in that all of these things are set before us here in Scripture, we want to remind ourselves from time to time that the God who made this world understands best how it works. And if we listen to him regarding our, our civil activity, and I'm not saying that there's one particular civil government over another. There's all kinds of civil governments. But they all come to various commandments and rules and examples that God has set forth in Scripture. That no one person is ever in charge. This is true in the church. It's true in the state. All right, well, with that... Uh, over those things. Let's go ahead and pick up a few of them on the way through. This section here, 2, 3, and 4. If a thief be found breaking up and be smitten that he die, there shall be no blood shed for him. If the sun be risen upon him, there shall be blood shed for him, for he should make full restitution. If he have nothing, he shall be sold for his theft. Notice, if you kill him, he can't do what he's supposed to do. The restitution is good for him. It's healing for him. It is something that he does as works meet for repentance. If you kill him, you cut off that, that opportunity. Now, if he's there at night and you can't ascertain his intentions and you smite him that he dies, you're not chargeable with that. He had the bad choice of coming at night. If he came during the daytime and you could see that he wasn't armed, he was just stealing your stuff, and you struck him that he die, you have cut off his opportunity for repentance. He should make restitution. That would be good for him. And children, you've heard me say this a thousand times. I hope one time it'll stick. I'm sure it has. Maybe this time will help it stick with some more, or maybe some that haven't heard it. The worst thing in your life is when you do something evil and get away with it. You don't want to get away with it. You want to be caught so that you can uh, seek repentance from God, make restitution to those whom you've wronged, do works meet for repentance. If you get away with something, you'll be tempted to do it again and again and again and again. Now this passage teaches us very clearly that it is good for this man to offer his restitution. He should offer restitution rather than be killed. And so if it's daytime and you can ascertain that he's not a threat to your life, you don't kill him, you apprehend him. You call the judges and he will be caught and then he will have to give his restitution which will be healing to his soul. It'll be a means that the Lord may use to his repentance. All right, so then uh, in verses five uh, uh, five and six, notice... The rights of private property are protected in Scripture. So there's no community field. There are boundary markers, property markers for a reason. This property is yours. This property is not yours, right? This side of the line is mine. That side of the line is yours. And so here's what I covenant to do with you, neighbor. I won't turn my ox loose in your field so that he grazes up all of your ox's food. I won't do that. Even if my own ox in my own field is going hungry because I've lost grass, my job is to buy grass from you rather than to steal it from you by sending my ox into your field. I'm going to respect and honor 
the boundary lines and your property. Or if I'm... Uh, if I got a burn barrel in my backyard or if I'm doing a bonfire and that fire breaks out and catches your field on fire, then I will make it good. And we note also here that judgment is required, that the two men are not left to their own recognizance, that they may need to get judges involved because it is of the best of the other man's field that he makes restitution. Well, what if he says, oh yeah, I'll make restitution out of this field over here. No, no, no. Somebody's going to tell him. This is the field you make restitution out of. This is the best of your grain. Right? And so there is an authority there that helps those men obey the Lord. All right, so now we have the deliverance of things. Um, if, if somebody borrows something from you and it is stolen from them, um, notice if the thief is not found, the master of the house shall be brought to the judges to see whether he have put his hand to his neighbor's goods, right? And the judges will condemn the one who stole, and he shall pay double. However, if it cannot be ascertained, if he was guilty, then there will exist an oath between them. And you know what the oath does, right? The oath brings in the name of the Almighty God to bear on this. Do you swear before Almighty God that you have not put your hand to this man's stuff? I so swear. If you're lying, the implicit promise here is that God will rise up your enemy because you have lied before his face. And so we note then that there is a, um, that there is a providential punishment that sometimes takes place. And that would be the best that could be hoped for. We're not going to get in every instance to every particular. We're finite creatures with finite purview. Okay, and then we skip down to verse 14. Um, when you borrow something, uh, if you overuse it th- such that it dies, you make restitution. What's the general equity, children? What's the general equity on that? Well, let's say you have some friends over and they bring a bicycle or a tricycle or some other toy. And they say, you know, you can keep that for a couple of days and play with it. What if you break it? What do you have to do? You have to replace it. You have to make him whole again. You have to replace what you broke. Right? If you go into a store and you handle something you shouldn't handle and you drop it, what's the old adage in the store? You break it, you bought it. Why should the owner suffer for your accident? Right? And yet today we have stores in order to keep and gain customers. Oh, it doesn't matter. Break anything you want and I'll just take care of that. What that teaches is irresponsibility. The Bible teaches responsibility and that things are actually worth something. And if you break it, you have to replace it. What happens if you think you don't have to break or, sorry, replace what you break? Well, then you think everything is worthless and you will have respect to no property at all. Okay, so these are good things to help us to remember which commandment, children? The eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. Because to break somebody's something and not replace it is to deprive them of the use of it. It is, in effect, to steal it. Remember that the eighth commandment establishes rights of property. Okay, and there are all kinds. Uh, Joanna and I were prompted to listen to the sermon on manners the other day that we preached last year. 
<laughs> I got done. With, my wife asked me, uh, how did you like that sermon? I said, well, it came out of my mind. I liked it a lot. <laughs> I did. But one of the things that we talked about there in that sermon was that when we go over to someone's house, we treat their property with respect. This is what this chapter is about. It's treating your neighbor's property with respect. So children, if you go over to someone's house and you play with all their toys and drag all their books out, well, then you help drag them back at the end of the day. You keep track of that and, and you, you help them to care for those things because you had the use of them at their hospitality. They were gracious to you. You'd be gracious to them in the returning of those things to where they belong. Okay, so that takes us down through verse 15. 16, if a man entice a maid that is betrothed, then lie with her. He shall surely endow her to be his wife. And if the father utterly refuse to give her unto him, he shall pay money according to the dowry of virgins. So notice that in every case, it's going to cost you, gents. In every case. Whether you get to marry the girl or not, you're going to have to pay. So you don't do that. In other words, what the Lord is telling you here is this is an activity, this is an action that carries consequences with it. Not like it is today. Today it's inconsequential. It never really is though, is it? And so the Bible simply identifies that and says it's going to cost you one way or another. All right, so thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. One verse, one line, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. What is a witch? Someone who claims to have access to information that is not accessible through ordinary means. Through spirits, through contact with the dead, by being herself clairvoyant, um, or himself uh, a wizard, right? Um, The palm readers. If we were a godly society, there would be no palm signs on our streets. Right? That's idolatry. Right? It must be put away. Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Okay? Then, whosoever lieth with a beast shall be put to death. Well, we are running pell-mell toward that in our society. But let us remember that these death penalty cases with regard to human intimacy are so because they strike against God's procreative image. Right? God procreates his image through the marriage of one man and one woman. This is why the fornicator in 16 and 17 could get married. Because that is not to destroy a marriage. It is creating a marriage. But bestiality, homosexuality, breaking up a marriage that is designed to procreate God's image, those kinds of things are death penalty cases in Scripture. God has designed that act to populate the earth and to procreate his image to bring him glory. And so whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. All right, so then idolatry, sacrificeth unto any God. When we get to Deuteronomy chapter 13, we'll hear that that extends even as far as to the wife of our bosom. That our hand will be the first against them to convict them. If they say, let us go uh, serve other gods. Now we hear in verses 21 and 22, 23 and 24. How we as as the people of God ought to treat those who are generally 
uh, poor, generally oppressed, because they have no defender. They have no advocate uh, for themselves. So we hear about the stranger, the widow, the orphan, the fatherless child. If thou afflict them in any wise, and they cry at all unto me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath shall wax hot, and I will kill you with the sword. And your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. That is a great and terrible threat from the Lord. Will he not make it good? He will. All right, so then uh, we, we talk about the poor, that is our neighbor. And if he asks uh, to borrow of us, we will lend him. Lending is one of those uh, injunctions of the Eighth Commandment. Uh, that, we, that we want to care for our destitute brother, so we will lend to him. And we will not lend upon him with usury. And even if we take a pledge from him, if that pledge is useful to him, he will not have to give up the use of it. Right? What is a pledge? Hey, buddy, can you loan me a hundred bucks? Yes, I can loan you a hundred bucks. Let me have your watch. So that I know you'll come back and bring me my $100 back. Okay, but it's the only way I can tell time. I don't have any other clocks. Okay, so when you get up in the morning, stop by the house. And I'll give you your watch back so you know what time it is during the day. But then you bring it back to me in the evening. Okay, until you bring me back $100. Then you can have your watch forever. So there was a pledge that was received uh, to keep the person that had borrowed interested. Otherwise, they could abscond. With your money, right? But if that pledge that you took was something that was necessary to them, they had to re- retain the use of it, like their sleeping cloak. Otherwise, what does he have to sleep in? That's what Moses says. Okay, and then notice also, and uh, it shall come to pass when he crieth unto me, that I will hear, for I am gracious, the Lord says. The Lord has this specially revealed spot in his affections for those who have no one to defend them. And he will rise up to be their defender. In fact, he calls on magistrates to be their defender as well, doesn't he? Okay, thou shalt not revile the gods or ruler or curse the ruler of thy people. The word gods there, judges or rulers. So respect for authority, civil authority. And then uh, the first fruit belongs to God. The first fruit belongs to God. And in that, uh, as we close out the chapter, we hear in that that God is the owner, the proprietor of all that we have, and we merely live upon his lending to us. And everything that we have belongs to him. So we can reason from that as we, as we talk about the tithe, that we don't tithe, God gets 10% and we get 90%. No, God gets it all. We retain the use of 90% for his glory. Let's stand and continue praising God in the singing of songs.